Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast to help you be the best you can be to grow your business, your relationships and personal life. Our conversations with thought leaders and everyday people will inspire you. My mission is to show how positivity helps us all live a more rewarding and meaningful life. My conversation this week is with Alan Kay, Solution Focus Facilitator and Author. Before we jump into our conversation, let me first start with our Reframe segment. As you know, I do this each week as a way to strengthen our positivity muscle and to hone our ability to view people and situations through multiple lenses. Remember, what you focus on grows. So in my episode last week on Positivity Strategist PS11, which was called The Greatness Zone and Positivity with Jay Forte, our positivity lens was to do one of the activities Jay asks his students to do, which is to open themselves up to what's going on in the world around them and notice what's hot in three domains. And those domains are what's hot in jobs, in products, and in social media and to look for the opportunities in them. How did you do? Did you put your best noticing lens in and become more aware of what's hot and what the world is offering? I have to say that I was challenged by this one. It was a great exercise, and what I did notice is the following. There's so much going on that it's not easy to focus when you don't have a specific reference point. Things are so compartmentalized and filtered and niched down. Now, I won't take up much time by sharing what I discovered in doing this exercise, as that's not necessarily of interest to you. But what was reinforced is that the work Jay is doing in the greatness zone with youth is truly valuable. It's essential to find out what your strengths are and what opportunities resonate with you and how you fit in the world. Now, if you, at any age, can get clear about that, you'll feel so much more positive about yourself and the world and be ready for life to notice and focus the opportunities and possibilities for you. Today, I'm fortunate to have as my guest and conversation partner, Alan Kay, who'll share parts of his story about how he first became attracted to his work and what it means to him and how it informs all that he does. So before I continue, let me welcome you warmly, Alan, to Positivity Strategist. Thank you. I am delighted to be with you today. Great. So I'd like to offer a few sound bites about Alan to lead into our conversation. Alan is a solution-focused change consultant and we'll hear more about Solutions Focus as we get into our conversation. And one of the ways that Alan has described himself is that he's a fully recovered ad guy. That's also of interest to explore. Alan's consultancy is called the Glasgow Group, and as you may have just detected, his accent is a clue as to why that might be, yet he lives in Canada. And Alan now works internationally with a wide range of organisations in the area of strategic planning, management development, customer experience, and stakeholder consultation. Alan has authored a book with an intriguing title of Fry the Monkeys, Create a Solution. It's an extremely practical book, and I'll invite Alan to say more about that too. 
So, Alan, to start our conversation today, I'd like to quote you from one of your online profile descriptions, and I think it was LinkedIn. And in it, you say, change is inevitable. The world is changing faster than ever before. As people, we tend to resist change. But to move forward, we need to make the most of change. Change will liberate and strengthen the organization. Solutions focus is an approach to create listening and understanding and how to capitalize on and speed up change. So, Alan, with that wonderful description about change and how valuable it is, I'd be really pleased if you'd describe what you do and especially what energizes you about what it is that you do. Thank you. Uh, I am very fortunate to work with a very wide range of clients who face a wide range of issues that they ask me to help them work on. It used to be that I would describe myself as a person who helps clients get unstuck from whatever was bothering them at the time. So that could be a manager of a, a department in an organization, in a large organization, or it could be an executive director of a, a not-for-profit. And how I got to that statement that you kindly read there was through the solution-focused training I received some 18 so or so years ago from the folks at the Hinks Delcrest in Toronto. I, I particularly admired some of the lines that came out from the training in Sue Kimberg's Slow Down to Speed Things Up, William James's Change is Happening All the Time, Our Job is to Notice It and Amplify It, many quotes like that. And it helped me realize that I could take uh, those sort of, that sort of framework and apply it to change in organizations. And what energizes you about doing this kind of work? Uh, another thing that I learned early on in Solution Focus is that the client's the expert mm-hmm. uh, and um, not, not the consultant or the, the change person. And so it was very exciting to me when I started noticing that because I was asking better questions than I'd asked before, Mm. Um, I was quite good at this when I was in advertising, but I became even better uh, with the solution focus framework by helping them address the issues the way they saw it and by asking questions that helped them reveal the answers for themselves and make progress on it right away. I became even more enthusiastic about adapting this model. So today uh, I've had all these years of working with clients in Some are fairly straightforward situations, sometimes very difficult situations. Angry union leaders, angry lawyers, corporate lawyers. I could describe a long list of folks who who are really stuck. And what is pleasing to me is that by allowing them to be the expert in the change they want to make, not imposing any thoughts that I have what they need to do, continuing to explore with them where they want to get to in a useful way that a lot of times I find I'm very energized by the progress they make. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, I mean, I want to get into solutions focus and how it is different from the traditional kind of approaches. And maybe we can we can talk also a little bit about appreciative inquiry as well, because, mm. you know, that's the lens that, that they're similar in lots of ways. And that's the lens that I'm working through. However, you know, you talked about you were enthusiastic and you get energized. So say more about how you experience this kind of work. What what pleases you about 
you in doing this work and what are you most proud of? Yeah, thank you. When I was in the advertising business, that's the ex-ad guy and recovered ad guy, um, (laughs) I was the kind of person who saw things that were possible on behalf of our clients that the agency could produce um, that not other people always saw. So early on, I discovered that my job was to better understand the various needs of the client, not just the campaign, and to then go to the agency and draw in the resources of the various people at the agency who had to put a plan together that we'd then take back to the client so that when it got in front of the client, the client could see how uh, it was more than just a campaign. This is how you would use it in the sales team. This is how the distribution would work, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And it meant that they bought into it a lot quicker. The main thing was that I seemed to have a knack for, A, seeing the future, what's possible, and B, facilitating people across the system as opposed to each of the bits of the silos that I had to work with Mm. and get better outcomes from them. And so for years, I just did it. Uh, I have to go back to solution focus because it's the one thing I use. When I was trained, I suddenly realized, oops, I've been doing this for a long time. Mm. Uh, Here I now have a set of tools, a framework, et cetera, to make it even better and then make it even better for the client. And so that has kept me <laughs> hopping for the last 18 years since I first started using Solution Focus. And, it, and I'm not, I urge people to remember, I'm not a Solution Focus fanatic. I think that there are many good models, such as appreciative inquiry, positive psychology, etc., that can result in exactly the same thing, which is helping organizations move forward in the way that they want to. And the biggest one of all, making progress on the change they want to make right away. Mm. Yeah, that's very interesting because what resonates about that is you say that you were doing it, and I'm going to use the word intuitively. Yeah. I mean, it just felt, I mean, that's the way that you are engaging with people and you could look at the possibilities and you saw the bigger system and you saw how engaging stakeholders across the whole system lent a different kind of energy and outcome and engagement and all of that kind of stuff. So it's interesting because I also came across appreciative inquiry intuitively. I mean, it was like, oh, my gosh, I've been doing this all along and there is, there's a, a thing that, you know, this is how it really works. So it's having that framework and feeling so validated because there's such a, a breadth and depth of theoretical underpinnings that make sense and it comes out of, you know, social science and action research and, you know, all the same kinds of things. And other people that I talk to in this space most of them have this intuitive sense about it and it's something that they just do naturally. It's, And then they think, well, there's got to be a reason for all of this. So I'm curious about when you work with clients now, do you find the same thing that clients intuitively get this and that's therefore no sell at all? And if they don't get it, then it's like, well, this is not meant to be? Mm-hmm. It, it, it is very rarely the latter. Sometimes uh, you find a client who appears to be resisting when in fact they are only, they're moving at their pace. 
and the resistance is us uh, with our framework, better questions, etc., expecting them to move quickly. And that's the only worst case I, I can talk about. Don't, I don't find many clients resisting this either logically or intuitively mm-hmm. when you are really truly focused on purely facilitating. A trouble I sometimes run into is my enthusiasm because I might think I know what the client needs and I start uh, putting that on the table. Uh, and that's interesting. That's often when I find not so much the resistance, they're just not moving at the same pace because mm. they're going to have to suddenly start buying into my notions. So I back off that one as quickly as I can. But to you know, address the intuitive thing, the way I would look at it is whether you're working with a bunch of nuclear scientists or IT people who you know, are trained to be rational and for whom the soft stuff in between, the human bits, uh, are often difficult for them to appreciate as, as a resource as opposed to getting in the way. The issue for the facilitator of that change, uh, myself, is to slow down to the pace that works for them and let them use the skills that they've got to move forward. Uh, never, never assuming that you're working at the right pace for them um, and that you can tap into their intuitive skills. They've got them, as I often say to some of these clients. What do you do with your family when you're stuck on a blah, blah, blah? You, you, you move outside of their logical, rational realm and you ask them questions about, if you like, their social skills, etc. And they can tap into them that way. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes, I think that makes beautiful sense. In fact, you know, start where the client's at and go at their pace. Absolutely. Um, Thanks for saying that. So I'm wondering whether you could have an image or a story that you could tell where where you witness this kind of shift, the eureka moment or what you saw in a team or a workplace or with a leader where the monkeys were fried. (laughs) And maybe you could talk about that too. (laughs) Yeah, we will explain that title later. Fortunately, I've got a big uh, bag of stories to dip into, but the one I like telling most of all out of a very difficult situation is a plant, a factory. There was a, a substantial requirement for change at the plant uh, including the possibility of it not existing sometime in the future. And there was a lot of anger and resentment between management and the union in the plant. The person that I spoke to, first of all, it just happened to be that was the name that came out of the bag uh, in terms of my pre-work interviewing, was the head of the union. And he was a very, very, very angry man. Fortunately, I'd run into a few of these people. <laughs> One of the reasons I left Scotland was to get away from them. <laughs> but I said to him in listening to his opening complaints about the plant manager, which were really, really objectionable, I said to him, it must be very difficult for you to work in a circumstance like this. And yet, you know, you work in a nice town. I, and the town happened to be an industrial town, petrochemicals and stuff like that. And so that kind of caught him off guard. And I said to him, I live in Toronto, I come from Glasgow, so I kind of know what, what your environment's like. I've got family members who have been union members, et cetera, et cetera. If I came to live in this town, uh, what would I like about it? Mm. 
And he said, oh, well, yeah, we've got, uh, we've got the lake. We can go fishing in the summer. Uh, we're near the U.S. border. We can go across and get cheap beer. And he started extolling the virtues of the town. And I said, oh, that's fantastic. Now, if I had a couple of kids and I moved here, uh, what would they like about the town? He said, oh, they've got really good schools. Uh, we've actually got a technical college that supplies some of our younger uh, workers, etc." I said, oh, really? Wow. And then rather slyly, because I was beginning to build an understanding of mm-hmm. this guy, I said, uh, if I were, came to work at your plant, what would I like about it? Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he smiled and he says, okay, Alan, I get it. <laughs> and he gave me some good answers. Mm. And so that was beginning to break down his barrier to seeing that he would know some of the answers that were going to be required in the planning session. What's important about this story is we had a two-day planning session with the plant workers and the leadership as well as the company leadership who flew in from somewhere else and he really didn't participate much the reason was he couldn't let go of his position his anger Mm -hmm. Um, so I had to let him keep his arms crossed but the big thing was he in not participating he did it with a smile a lot of the folks who show their anger by not participating also communicate their anger what was interesting at the end when the manager who'd flown in from the other country uh, he was congratulating the group because they did come up with some really good stuff he said to me afterwards he said I saw we'll call him Gary I saw Gary smile Alan congratulations Mm. and I said that's his pace of change he's not going to be able to move where we want him to get to overnight that's a story about dramatizing when somebody's really angry, tap into the resources they've got uh, to talk purposefully. In this case, it was about his town and open up the door to them thinking more purposely at their pace. Gosh, some lovely pearls in there. That's a great story. Very memorable. Thank you. And it reminds me, I'm thinking back now to my NLP days, pattern interrupt. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. That kind of scrambling of the brain and you tap into something different and it brings a result, you know, it shifts people. So that's a great story to show that. Based on what you just said, you know, the guy who taught me this originally in Solution Focus, Jim Deval, he said, you know, in family situations, sometimes you hear the most appalling things in a session. Mm. And he said, what the hell do you do? He said, I just throw out a Solution Focus question because I know it can't do any harm. And while I'm thinking of the next better solution-focused question, because I, you know, I was stumped as to what to go forward with, the question I asked them casually in order to give me some time to think turned out to be just as good a question as the one I was thinking up. It would help the family move forward. So the pitch there about solution focus and lots of these other models is there are no bad questions as long as it's about something that's useful for the person you're working with. And it... It uh, doesn't just fill up time, it helps them make progress. That's a good segue into saying a little bit more about solution focus. So what else mm-hmm. can you share with us, please, Alan? The big one we've talked about, the client is the resource for change. Mm-hmm. Our job is to help them notice useful change and amplify it. Mm-hmm. The framework that I operate with, developed by a number of people, but Steve Steve DeShazer and Inzu Kimberg, essentially was what's working that we don't have to change 
kind of an inventory of resources people have got to make progress and a platform. Uh, the second one is to, rather than diving into the details of the problem, although you often have to acknowledge and clarify it, instead ask, well, supposing more of those things that are already working were happening in the future and the problem went away, mm. what would that look like? Mm. And getting them to describe that in a great deal of detail, which allows you to close the loop on the, the set of questions by saying, and supposing that was to happen in the future, you call it a miracle question, and we were looking back towards today and the next few days, what would you see yourself doing differently or more of? Mm. Uh, allowing them to, having taken a glimpse at the future, they want think of something they can do right away where they can see themselves and ideally the people around them making some progress immediately in order to encourage them to become more self-reliant. You know, one of the things about solution focus is they say in the family therapy application, if the folks come back more than three or four times, start thinking about some other model for them to use, and that rarely happens. Your, your job is to help the client become self-reliant. Mm. And uh, now this gives me an opportunity to, to point out the contrast of a lot of consulting and some coaching. It's not that the consultants and coaches make the client helpless in order to get more work out of them. But the coaching doesn't really help the client think through the plan that would work for them. And so it maintains the reliance on the coach or the uh, consultant. Mm -hmm. uh, our job is to make them self-reliant as quickly as possible. Yes, and there's a statistic that the consulting business, a 350 plus billion dollar industry mm -hmm. has been built on focusing on problem analysis, error reduction and repair. Mm -hmm. And the work that you do, the work that I do, is not based on that deficit view of the world, mm -hmm. but it's really the resources, the capabilities, the energy, the solutions lie within the system itself. Right. And yet consulting business is still thriving. I could, I could ramble on about that, but I won't. <laughs> but I'm interested, Alan, in, you know, in all these fabulous questions. And I have to say that your book has fabulous, fabulous questions in there and lots of great examples. It's very practical. Mm. How does that get implemented? Who asks the questions? Mm. Well, I think with that framework in mind, what's working, what would be different in the future and what would be the first small step what again I like about Solution Focus is there's a toolbox and the toolbox is full of things that are probably pretty familiar to other models like appreciative inquiry. The scaling question, scale of one to ten, where are we now? It, it, just a whole bunch of better questions to ask uh, to help facilitate the conversation forward. And I think the gift in Solution Focus is that you can start using that toolbox right away uh, as I say to most people when I do training, um, some folks will look at you initially like you're a stupid dog uh, because they've never heard these questions before. Uh, they are counterintuitive questions. And uh, one of the critical things isn't the fact that you've got the toolbox of questions. It's how you use the questions, the language of the questions. Mm -hmm. 
of course, the crudest level, we wouldn't want to say to somebody, well, what's wrong with what you're doing? That would be non-solution focused. But we could say, what's, what works? Mm-hmm. That's a simple way to, to ask the question. But it might say, when you've noticed that things aren't quite as difficult as you've been talking about, what have you noticed that works for you, for your colleagues, et cetera, et cetera? So being thoughtful about the use of the language within the question on behalf of the client is really important. And so in the book itself, I uh, laid out the thinking behind some of those questions without, if you like, putting in them as a prescription. It's mm-hmm. a non-prescription model. Mm-hmm. where we, we come up with the questions based on where the client is as opposed to saying, the next question is... And so we're working with them the way they are. And I'm, I was hoping that the book would allow folks to see that. And then at the same time, at the back of the book, um, I called my colleagues in Europe, partly because I'm a bit lazy, and asked them, could I borrow some of your models? So they were very kind in giving me, I don't know, there's seven or eight different approaches in there for different situations to use the tools for example, the reflecting team format. There's some simple stuff about how do you start a meeting, etc., from people who've been practicing it for quite a while. So it's all in the book. Mm, no, it's very handy. It's very practical. My curiosity around the questions yeah. was the process. You're facilitating a workshop, I imagine. Mm. Do they ask each other the questions or does the facilitator ask the questions? How does it happen? Of course, if it's an individual that you're working with, you're trying to minimalize your presence and make sure that you're asking questions that let them think up uh, substantive answers and uh, helping them make progress on those. If you're working with a larger team, uh, yes, you want them talking as much as possible. So you might actually... let's say we were doing strategic planning. Of course, you've got a framework for the planning session, but as you arrive at each section, you remain very flexible on on the nature of the question. Sometimes (laughs) we throw the agenda out because what you've... It's an iterative process. Mm. You know, you get to a certain point in the day and you're beginning to understand that they've got some insights that they'd never thought of before, and the questions that you dreamed up a week ago at the pre-planning exercise aren't as relevant anymore. Right. So, again, you work with the situation mm. as it is. Yeah. I think the thing is having great faith in your audience that they know the answers. In fact, this is my ingoing proposition to all clients. Nice. Mm. You know the solution to this problem you're presenting to me as a problem. You know the solution. My job is to simply ask questions that help you see you know the answers mm, very nice. that allow you to think of the way for you to move forward, not a prescription from an outsider. So why did you call the book <laughs> Fry the, the Monkeys, Create the Solution? I'm an ad guy. I have a lot of colleagues who have written books about solution focus. Bless them. <laughs> uh, and quite a few of them asked me to be in their book, which was very kind of them. And they all have titles like, 500 questions to ask in solution focus, et cetera, et cetera. So in going in proposition was not to write a title that had been already used or close to it. The second one was to uh, get a bit more attention in the social media world. You can use all kinds of tools to get awareness. If you have an interesting title, it 
your, half of your job's done. And so my advisor, who helped me get the book produced and then promoted, said to me, just use those intuitive advertising skills you've got, Alan, and I don't know where Fry the Monkeys came from, <laughs> except to say one thing. There was a Harvard Business Review article written some 20-odd years ago that talked about uh, don't let the monkeys, i.e. the problems your staff bring you, take over your thinking. Mm. And in fact, it's remained one of the top 20 HBR articles of all time. So I'm guessing that the, and I mentioned this in the book, that the, the notion of the manager not letting the staff bring them monkeys, but instead bring them solutions, influenced me to come up with Fry the Monkeys, Create a Solution. Mm -hmm. What's important, and I'm not pitching the book here, it's about the title, is I wanted an intrusive title, but I also wanted it to be clear who it was for, so that at the bottom of the title it says, for the solutions-oriented manager. Mm -hmm because I wrote the book thinking of one person who might be able to use this book. Mm. Um, and I wasn't writing it for my uh, colleagues elsewhere in the solution-focused world. I was trying to make it very practical for the manager to just open it up and start using it right away. And I have since seen people with copies of the book who've got lots of stickies in the sections that matter most to them, and they refer to it all the time. Mm, that's great. And I want to stress, it's because it's, the quality of the solution-focused thinking, not that I'm a brilliant author. Well, that's very nice and very modest of you to say that. But it's uh, very uh, readable and, as I've said several times now, it's very practical. Mm. So just let's let's talk a little bit about appreciative inquiry and solution focus because I go to conferences and I meet both, mm. people who do both, and they do intersect very nicely and there are foundational principles that are relevant to both, you know, the family therapy and, you know, some of the things that you've outlined where the solution is owned by the client, where the language is really important, that, you know, you're focusing on a future, that you tap into the imaginative capacity of people. And the, the other thing too that is very specific to appreciative inquiry, and I'm curious where this fits in with solution focus because I'm not, other than your book, experienced in it. And I can't say I'm experienced just having read your book. But um, it's about stories. Mm-hmm. And for me, one of the richness of appreciative inquiry is that we want to uncover the strengths and the capacities that exist within a system or within a human being and mm-hmm. extend that out to the system or the organisation or the community, the family, whatever, mm-hmm. that through the stories that they tell where we we kind of do go back and ask them to tell a story of the past when they best experienced when they were leading or when they were in a great relationship or when they created a great, fantastic strategic plan or whatever. So we want to tap into those already lived experiences that are grounded in their own reality before Mm -hmm. we move into imagining and waving that magic wand or going to sleep overnight and you wake up and the world or the workplace or the family is just as you imagined it. So that to me is a very rich piece that you ask people to tell their own stories because nobody can argue or discount your own history. Yeah. And that's what is so validating and what gives people the energy and the excitement and the, the sense of, my God, I can do this. I, you yeah. know, I, I have the capacity or I do have these strengths and these talents and I can make this happen. 
I think the commonality, I can't see much difference, frankly, other than a little bit of the framework. It is changing the narrative. Yes. The narrative that's in the individual and in the corporate or team group about the problem that they're usually stuck in this continuous loop. And so we help reframe some of that narrative in ways that are, of course, purposeful and positive, etc., and allow them to rethink uh, about the resources in ways that allow them to start thinking about what that would look like differently in the future without the problem. Mm-hmm. So you're constantly reframing the narrative. I think it's easy to ask good appreciative inquiry or solution-focused questions. The longer you practice it, the more you notice that the quality of your questions has an even bigger impact on helping them shift the mm-hmm. narrative. The quality of your questions takes quite a bit of practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I don't personally, I mean, I was trained in solution-focused and, and didn't find out about appreciative inquiry for quite a long time. But when I started looking at it, I, gee, it's a shame I wasn't trained in that model too. Mm-hmm. I don't see really any differences in between them. The framework might be different, but uh, the outcome that you're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. you know, in simplest terms, when people are stuck, you're trying to move them from hopeless to hopeful by being helpful in, the, in your questions. Yeah. Um, I, I think we can take up two or three levels from feeling hopeless. Uh, to hopeful. And I think, you know, what you're alluding to is if we want to change anything, we have to start changing the way we talk about it. Yeah. One of my mantras is if you want to change the culture, you change the stories you tell yourself. Yeah. I think one of the things that I find interesting is maybe there's a difference here in that there seems to be more of a structured approach with, with the boost of inquiry. And the language of the appreciative inquiry person, facilitator, is geared towards the storytelling and so on. I suspect that in solution focus we're less interested in, this is not a criticism, less interested in a structure to the storytelling Mm -hmm. process Mm -hmm. than letting the client decide what it is. Of course, one of my issues is I'm I started out the world of advertising as a production guy. So I like to help people move on, move, mm-hmm. move along quickly. Mm-hmm. I wrote a book too called Appreciative Increase for Collaborative Solutions, 21 Strength-Based Workshops. So they're actually fully designed workshops around topics. So the one thing about Appreciative Increase is it works when you have a system, an organisation, a team, a community Seeking to change something around a specific topic. So yep. what you do is you inquire into the topic. Yes. It's the inquiry piece around a topic. Yep. A fabulous job I had last year was with a big defence organisation called BAE Systems. I know them. Um, 300 people came to do a two-and-a-half-day AI summit and the topic we were exploring was freedom to step outside our comfort zones. Mm -hmm. And how that came about was engaging 
people across the organisation to do appreciative inquiry discovery interviews where they collected stories about when when they best experienced diversity and inclusion in the organisation because it was an initiative by the diversity and inclusion chief executive. She wanted to bring D&I more into the organisation, so she chose this methodology to do it. And so through collecting all those stories of when people felt most valued and they felt that diversity and inclusion was really being lived out in the culture of the organisation was when they were free to be themselves. Yeah. And so that's what we went into the two and a half day summit to do a whole inquiry with 350 people in the room around that very topic. That's what kind of enlivened them and they, and they felt connected and they felt heard and they came to, uh-huh. they dreamt of how it would be in the future. They then designed how they'd make it happen and they came out with all these projects that they were going to go off and implement. And the appreciative inquiry piece is always around inquiring into a topic that's relevant. Uh-huh. And then secondly, we do it through this valuing lens that focuses yep. on what's to be celebrated, what works, what success looks like. So we do it from that framework, which I am equating to solutions focus, right? That you're looking at what already works and ensuring that everyone has a voice and people are stepping up and feeling that they can take ownership and they're prepared to take the responsibility and be accountable for what they propose. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, You know, every individual has a genius hidden inside them. It's hard to find it for some. It's so to every organization. And in marketing terms, we call it the, the brand value proposition. <laughs> what I think you're talking about here is finding that genius in one part of the organization on a very specific topic. And by amplifying it loudly across the group, the 300 people in this case, not only do they begin to embrace it and recognize it, they begin to see how they can make it work in different ways on an ongoing basis. So it has a, both a cultural impact and it has a system impact. Mm. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And I love the way that you're describing it as they tap into their own genius. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. And, 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 and it's so easy in organisations because everybody's worried about what the shareholders think about the latest uh, stock market mm-hmm. results etc., or, or, or performance results in the financial sense, which leads to an analyst, analysis of the problem uh, on the operational side, not just the financial side. And then it's an endless conversation about what's wrong when you can dr- change all of that by doing what we've talked about. Mm-hmm. So by way of conclusion, I'd love you to say how you counter somebody who says, but we've got problems here. You know, we have to deal with the problem. Mm -hmm. What's your response to that? Immediately. Good. Let's have a chat about that. How would you like to handle it? How much time do you need? How should we do it? Should we write them up on flip charts? You know, if you're working with a group. And um, I'll tell you a quick story. Working with a a legal firm, law firm, mid-size, lots of difficulties because the mid-size firms are caught between the the multinationals, the big guys, and the uh, the boutiques. Uh, right at the beginning of, of the session, uh, one of the senior partners who knew me stood up and said, oh, you know, this 
this, I understand that solution stuff, Alan, it's very good. But I wondered if we could just talk about what's really going to cause us so much trouble in the next couple of years. And I said, absolutely. So I, I, there were maybe 60 of them. And don't forget, these are lawyers. They're used to being in the courtroom. They know how to argue. Um, I said, would you write up each table up to 10 things that are going to cause the problems in this organization in the future? Uh, table one, would you do it from the customer's perspective? Table number two, would you do it from the uh, senior partner's perspective? And we each table got a different stakeholder perspective of mm -hmm. what the problems were. Mm -hmm. I gave them 20 minutes, let's say. So put them all up on the wall, looked at them and they presented them. And I turned to the senior partner who had raised the issue and I said, how does that feel? And he said, much better. And I said, so can we go back to our process? He said, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> you have to let them express yes. it's their way and not get in the way of it being expressed by presuming that you've got a better idea, mm -hmm. but also help them shake themselves loose from it. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, immediately once we'd done that, we said, okay, same stakeholders at the tables from before. What works in this organization? What would the customers tell us they like about it? What are the senior partners? Blah, blah, blah. And um, we moved forward from there. Yeah, very nice. This has been very rich. I've enjoyed this conversation with you, Alan. Me too. And I would like you now, by way of conclusion, let us know how people can find you. And um, we'll have on the show notes page for this particular episode, which is going to be found at positivitystrategist.com slash PS12. On that page, they'll be able to find links to your books and to your website and any social media. So um, perhaps you could just briefly say how people can find you and then I'll document that as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, I have a very simple website address that I use for handing out at parties and it is alan k a l a n k a y dot c a uh, the alan k dot com has gone a long time ago because there is a scientist who's got a big reputation with the same name so alan k dot c a and it'll lead you to the company website to the book website and so on excellent well, is there anything else that you would like to say that we haven't touched on? No, I've been greatly enjoyed this conversation. Um, I want to thank you for the questions that you've asked. There's a whole lot of spontaneity in what we're doing, but at the same time, it's the practice that we have over the years uh, of using things like AI and solution focus, etc., that allows us to ask better questions. How's that, how's that for a piece of propaganda? Beautiful. You're a good ad man. you still got it in you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Alan. Bye now. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Positivity Lens for this week, after listening to my conversation with Alan, I'm inviting you to pay close attention to the questions you ask. The solution-focused framework is about asking better questions to help uncover the genius within. Similarly, Appreciative inquiry questions are about asking unconditionally positive questions to anticipate and heighten positive potential. Now, I also suggest that you listen to one of my earlier episodes, PS2, which is entitled How Positive Questions Make a Difference. You'll hear me share many stories and examples of positively framed questions and how they lead to positive change. Enjoy reframing your questions this week. Also, you can be notified 
of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember, what you focus on grows, so grow towards your best.